What's up, fanatics? New summer series tonight. It is the Souk Up Summer Series here on the Cycle and Fanatic Podcast Network. I'm Chris Williams, joined as always by my colleague, my neighbor, my friend, Brent Bloom. Closing in on the end of summer already. Yeah. That means football. I don't even feel like we have much of summer this Go, year. It goes faster as you get older, I swear. Yeah. I mean, it's felt fast when you're a kid, but same time. The it's season's like, it's yeah. August, almost August already. Yeah, they just kind of mesh together. Right. Well, you know what? Summer, the end of summer means one thing for our friends who are preparing for harvest right. and all that. We've had all sorts of rain this spring and summer. And it's time to think about your grain drying needs. For the fall, Sukup has the most complete line of grain dryers available, as well as the most technology forward grain dryers available. Check them out. Our friends at Sukup Manufacturing, they are the presenting sponsor of the Cyclone Fanatic Summer Series. Visit sukup.com to learn more about that complete line of grain dryers and find your local dealer today. I was up in Wall Lake today. And saw all sorts of souk-up objects all over the place. Grain dryers, grain bins, big time up there. You yeah. ever, been, ever been to Lake City? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was, I was in Lake City and Sac City. I've been in that area Carol. a lot. Yeah. And I actually feel like I really have been near that because we, oh, we didn't really vacation, but we took a few days in Okaboji and I had funerals back in Southwest oh, Iowa. So, so I drove through Sac Iowa. City. Yeah, I, I drove through that whole area. You've seen the, have you seen the big uh, popcorn ball? No. Talking about no. <laughs> Somebody was taking a picture next to it today. Google it. It's okay. a little obnoxious. Uh, Lake City up by, I have relatives around there in Laurelville. Yep. Which is just... Not too far away. Yeah, it's a teeny, teeny, tiny town. Yep. All right. Um, so this was your brainchild, this 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 topic. So I'm going to let you introduce it. Yeah, well, so when Matt Thomas signed with the Raptors, what was that, about a, three weeks ago now, it jogged my memory that there's been now a couple of Iowa State teams in the recent past that Chris had seven NBA players on the roster. Mm. Think about that. Yeah. And there's been two. Um, the one we're going to talk about in this episode was the 14-15 team, a.k.a. Fred Hoiberg's last team. Um, yeah. The other one was the next year, or not the next year, two years later. Um, or was the, no, it was the next year. Excuse me. So two years in a row, I had had seven NBA players on the roster. But the amazing thing about... This team in particular was the roller coaster of a season. It was. I mean, I, it just it it literally was the Hoiberg era to a T because unbelievable highs and some really awful lows mixed in, plus chaos at times. I mean, it was it was a strange season that had literally a little bit of everything. And Iowa State's seventh and eighth leading score on that team are now in the NBA. Just signed NBA contracts, so. It just go, and that was Abdul yeah. Nader and uh, Matt Thomas. So an unbelievable. I think it was, I think it was the most talented team in Iowa State history. Yet, as Iowa State history, as everybody knows, it's also a snake bitten team. What ultimately ended the season. What's funny is I I knew we were doing this, and I spent some time with George Niang doing our. Um, old man game mm-hmm. podcast and i i specifically um you know brought him into the conversation and wanted to get his highlights on it and yeah it um so you you, you recall it as hoiberg's last year i kind of remember it is the bryce dijon jones seasons that too i didn't mention bryce but yeah, <laughs> you know what i mean that, like that's how that one kind of pops or the uab season yeah, i guess but and we'll go through yeah. kind of it was it literally had everything in there yeah and then some i mean there were some parts where i was going back and reading um researching tonight that i had even forgotten about that happened that year i mean the the the, the weird game against south carolina and brooklyn which if you look at it now is almost identical to the way iowa state lost to uab I mean, there's there was just little hints along the way that eventually told the story of what this Iowa State team would become, but also perhaps maybe the greatest night ever in Hilton Coliseum, a 22 to nothing run in six minutes against the ranked Oklahoma team. You know, yeah. I mean, th- again, 
the super highs and some really bad lows. But I think when we go through this, the pattern is interesting, and it kind of tells the story of what the Fred Hoiberg era at Iowa State really was. I actually, um, to summarize it real quick before we dig into it, the 2014 and 15 men's basketball season, I asked Niang today, like, when you think of that year, what comes to your mind? And his biggest thing was just inconsistency on not only necessarily how they played, but, like, he's like, I didn't know the mood of the team going to practice is what I got from him. Like, some days we were really high. Some days we were really low. Think about um, the Jamil McKay was a factor in that. He played the second half of that season. And he was – and that was kind of the cool part of this is he was really good. Yeah, but then – but you also think about the next year and the amount of problems that Steve Prohm had with him. You know, Jamil was probably building those bad habits that year. I I mean, there's – it. It's really amazing looking back at that team, how much talent was there, and what we thought the team was going to be preseason, what they became, but then ultimately how it ended. And Chris, it was still a good year by yeah. Iowa State standards. It was the third most wins in school history. Team finished twenty-five and nine, finished second in the Big Twelve, won the Big Twelve tournament, and yet we don't think of it as a great year because of how it ended and kind of the uncertainty of the whole year. And I think it it really encapsulates. You know, of course, the Fred and Steve debate, we've, we've talked about it for, for years since then, but there were some interesting times in the Hoiberg era as well. It wasn't all rosy all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think this year in particular just was what that era was all about. Awesome offense and then some head scratchers. You're like, what are, we, what are we even doing out here? And from game to game, it was sometimes a giant mystery. Well, that the ups and downs kind of started – well, it was in Kansas City at that um, that Thanksgiving tournament, and they lost to Maryland. And I, I do remember that being a real wake-up call for the fan base. Yeah, no. So, I mean, when this season started, I wrote a column before the before the for the first game was against Oakland, and it was a game that Matt Thomas and Abdul Nader both had to miss because of suspension. And so, Sharon Dorsey Walker was actually the one featured in Rob Gray's preview for the Oakland game. Wow. I mean, we thought now... Where, ironically, didn't he transfer to Oakland? He he would, yeah. Um, so just to kind of give you a precursor of what we're thinking. So the year prior is when Iowa State makes the Sweet 16, but it could have been a lot better. It's the old mythical Niang broken foot where you thought if Niang was healthy, the way Iowa State was playing, that team had legit Final Four aspirations and perhaps could have got there. I mean, Connecticut ends up beating Iowa State the year before. Connecticut wins a national title coming as a seven seed. But Iowa State returns a whole heck of a lot uh, the next season. Picked 14th in the preseason, the highest ranking Iowa State had been since 1996. So the expectations are really off the charts. I wrote in a column right before the Oakland game, uh, the, the title of the column was Believe the Hoy Ball Hype. And the first line of it was, Iowa State can win a national championship this year. And that was the thought. And I come to find out years later, Fred Hoiberg did not like the term hoiball and still disappoints me a little bit. Yeah, that, that's brutal. <laughs> he doesn't like it. Like, that was such a great thing that you came up but with, and then the mayor just, just casually just drops it, it when he was in the, the NBA. Bulls. Yeah. But that's, so, I mean, talk about a it was, need of uh, boys. It still is ongoing. Um, but so the, the expectations are crazy. You've got all these guys back. So you have George Niang's a, a junior. Mm-hmm. And coming off a really good sophomore year, he had dropped some pounds. And so now it's, you know, healthy George. Yeah. You know, he said he was he had the man yeah. boobs, and now he, he doesn't. He quit the Buffalo Wild Wings. Right. Trip. So he's gotten healthier. Naz Long is back. Uh, and then Monte Morris is now entering kind of stardom. Yeah, because he, if you remember the year before, starts off by not, by not starting and everything. And then the, you know how Hoiberg liked to, like, overuse lines. His line at the end of the year was, I can't keep him out of the lineup. Yep. He's a guy I can't ha- I can't have him out of the lineup, especially when Niang goes down to NC Central. You saw him and you know Daniel Dozy gets thrusted sure. into the starting lineup, and we thought Monte and we were all correct would have a breakout year leading to a great career, and he did. In the sophomore season in particular, which is the season was unbelievably good. So Monte is really becoming a star. You still have that stalwart in Naz Long, and then you've got. Uh, uh, Dustin Hogue, who just scored, what, 30-plus points in a Sweet 16 game against Connecticut back. You have him back as well, plus the new faces. So you mentioned already, you had Bryce John jones transfer in from UNLV. Super talented guy. Led UNLV in scoring. 
was really good at USC as well, but also came with, you know, some a checkered pass a little bit. There was some questions, but you also trusted Hoiberg and his staff. Like, every single of these transfers has, has worked out and worked out very well. You also bring in Abdul Nader, talented kid from Northern Illinois. Anybody who was at practice the year prior said, whoa, this guy's got some special tools that we haven't seen, plus some size mm-hmm. that Iowa State could really use. And if you look at what, what held Iowa State back the year before, the DeAndre Kane team didn't have a lot of size. And so you add another yeah, versatile or, or guy. In depth, too. Exactly. They could only really go six, seven. They deep. had six, seven guys. Yeah. and then But the big banner guy, if you look at all the preseason stuff, is Jamil yeah. McKay was going to be the game changer. Yeah. I mean, think about the hype of this guy before that season started because mm-hmm. you have a legit 6'9 guy who can block and, shots. And Hoiberg used the term rim protector exactly. constantly. All the time. Motor and rim protector with Jamil McKay. So we, we knew, like, those exhibition season was really just kind of a precursor to when Jamil McKay is eligible. Yeah. That was the story of Iowa State. And, the, and we thought, once McKay is eligible, you have the 6'9 guy with all of this talent. Iowa State led the nation, all Power 5 schools in scoring the year prior. Like, this team had the entire package and for what it's worth i actually did this research earlier today when i was talking with george mckay led the team in rebounding the last 13 games of the season he was unbelievably good that year yeah i mean he averaged uh just bring it up right here he he and he didn't start until later in the year because he didn't become eligible until the drake game down in des moines yeah he ended up being third on the team in scoring 11 points, seven and a half rebounds, two and a half blocks, ended up being the defensive player of the year in the conference. So his, what was his junior year? Which is incredible year? considering he hadn't played. Right. Yeah. He was he was awesome. So, yeah. and, you know, we think of Jamil and sometimes it was up and down. That was mainly his senior year. Yeah. His junior year, he was, he was really, really good. Really, really good. But yeah, that was the storyline coming in is, okay, we finally have a big man with all these offensive weapons. Sky's the limit. And it, it started really well until that Maryland game. Yeah, the I remember going down to Kansas City and it was a classic Hilton South deal. Like everybody thought that, you know, Iowa State was going to walk through this. We didn't know at the time. Maryland would be a pretty good team. You're okay, there. yeah. Um, Iowa State beat Alabama by 10. They lose to Maryland. Um, they only scored 63 points. But really, Brent, the up and down aspect of this team, The, the here's one of the biggest stories i think from that season well they beat bobby portis in arkansas at home yeah, by like and 20 dejon jones has 29 yeah you know we remember 20 27 and 6 or is that what okay yeah, 27. 27 and 6 but the yeah i mean early if you go through the box scores of the first half of this season bryce is awesome. everywhere awesome and then he drops off the face of the planet yep. which we'll get to here in a little bit yeah I mean, bryce in the non-conference averaged 19 points a game and like six rebounds and was really good defensively i remember remember he had a dunk in the first game where you're like whoa yeah like that that's different he was really really good for a while that season and kind of got forgotten about because of the way it ended but long story short you know Matt Thomas was a sophomore didn't really play a whole lot even I mean that, that that's how good this team was is they had all these guys Matt, the year before started he most did. of the season yep and he was he was the eighth guy on this team um didn't have one single start that year this is how good this this team was but yet the Maryland game was was a disappointment. You're like, ah, what's going on here? But you're, they respond. They beat Arkansas, and then Bryce has the issue with the noise complaint at the apartment. And this was when the season really started to get a little Weird. bit nutty. Yep. Um, there's the noise complaint. It gets attached to the to the drug scenario. They call it a drug house. Yeah. Or so, yeah. Um, Nader was living with him. Right. Um, so he was. Although he never got charged or he never was arrested or anything like that, he was kind of implicated in the whole deal. Uh, he wasn't playing at the time. It's easy. Nader no, he was. Oh, Nader yeah. was. Excuse me. You're he was right. the yeah. seventh guy, though. Yeah. So he, so was, he, he was down. Yeah. And, on but the, he wasn't thought of really as a guy yet. You, you know, weren't he, thinking this guy's going to the NBA. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. But but what what I remember about that so much is well there's a couple of things one i remember the bizarre fred hoiberg press conference after that happened um it wasn't really bizarre in anything that fred said but there was just so much confusion amongst the media um with you know what in the hell was really going on i remember watching um i remember tommy birch was like staking out at the story county jail trying to get a picture, picture yep. of Bryce DeJean Jones. Because he it, was the leading scorer at the time. Yeah, and it, it was a huge story. And then you go into Iowa City, and I do remember 
uh, George and I talked about this as well, how the point spread just shifted completely when Bryce was out going into that game. Against a good Iowa team. Yeah, on December 12th. Iowa was good that year. That was the kiss game. Yeah. Um, and And I remember being like, as an Iowa State fan, just proud of that team because there was so much distraction. Brent, I remember being really pissed off and... On I called into KX. I don't think I was on KX okay. at the time. Um, it was it was borderline offensive the way a lot of people were talking about that. The word thugs was getting tossed around. Yeah. Um, I know it's a little bit controversial, but I do think there's at times can be some racial connotation sure. when that word gets tossed around. Sure. Not all the time. I understand the the, tra- the, the transfers. Yeah, I know? understand the long-term meanings of it, yeah, but I would did it the right way. Yeah. There was, and there was a lot of it. You got to remember at this point, Fran McCaffrey was looked at differently. He was hired at the same time as Fred and Iowa was building this program that was going to last long-term while with, Fred was bringing in all the thugs. With local guys. Yes. I mean, look at Iowa's lineup. Aaron White, again, not a local guy, but you know, Mike Gazelle, Adam Woodbury, Jared Utoff, all yeah. in the starting well, lineup. A lot of local dudes yep. there, uh, homegrown Peter talent. Jock. And the, I don't know, I didn't like a lot of the language. And I remember getting very upset about it. And perhaps it was just me being a little too oversensitive. I didn't have any reason to defend Bryce G. John Jones, but I, w- I was more defending the, you know, um, the the other guys like they're really the transfers and if you listen to the transfer you series yeah. last year they weren't really problems no you know bryce had this running but other than that like it the the one player from the Fort Hoiberg, matt thomas had an issue mm-hmm. wasn't a big deal wasn't got it deal. cleaned up yep. and abdul had he missed two games he did. same that's yep those are the yeah. games he missed early um but boo boo paulo was the one who missed and he's an ames kid yeah right so i don't know i remember going into that game at Carver Hawkeye Arena, and a little I, extra on it. I was I was just disappointed yeah. by the language and some of the reporting, not necessarily by the media, just the conversations that were going on. And this team responded, man. They went and kicked Iowa's ass, ninety to seventy-five. Nance led the team with twenty-one. Hogue was a monster on the glass. I remember that night, and George sealed it with a kiss. Which he told a cool story in the podcast yes. a couple of weeks ago about what was going through his head. And basically, he knew he wanted to do something, and he just kind of followed through with it. And that kind of cemented his iconic status of, uh, of especially involved involving Iowa. But, you know, Iowa State played super great that game without Bryce. Only played seven guys. But at that point, you're like, all right, this is the team that Iowa State can be. They make 12 threes, and beat a really good Iowa team and not just beat them but I mean that second half it was a it was a runaway like there was nothing Iowa could do and really satisfying to walk out of Carver and by the end of that game it was pretty much all Iowa State fans in there and no Hawkeyes I do remember the end of that game too because the overwhelming thought going into it was like like kind of like you mentioned Brent oh if they don't have BDJ like they can't they can't win there. No right. McKay, no BDJ. Yeah, still no McKay either, right? And, and I do remember just a very deflating um, feeling coming from the Iowa fan base. And even I thought Fran McCaffrey, um, I think I do think that there's an aspect of Fran McCaffrey that's a lot like um, Dan McCartney mm-hmm. treated the Cyhawk football yeah. game. I think that Fran put a lot of pressure on his program to beat Fred Hoiberg. Uh, and, and he should have yep. because of what Fred was doing yep. just a couple of hours away. So Iowa State rolls there, and then but this is the Iowa State team we 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 became accustomed with. Yes, two days later, literally two days later on a Sunday against Southern, yes, struggle mightily, and really had to scrap to the end against a really really <laughs> awful Southern team. Ended up winning by ten, but I think it was a two possession game or a one possession game with like two minutes left. They were totally not literally, but they were totally hungover. Yeah, heading into that Southern uh, game. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and this is the, this is what the problem with this team was: is they'd have these unbelievable highs, and almost immediately, either the next game or the game following, would would throw it back up. They got Drake. Um, this is a fascinating. I don't know how much research you did, because this game didn't really tell much of a story on the season. Yeah, but it was Jamil McKay's first. It, game. Yeah, it was McKay, McKay's first game. I'm pulling up the box score right now. Iowa State scores. Um, Iowa State in that game scored 83 points, okay? And they won the game 83 to 54. Naz was the leading scorer with 13 points. Hmm. 
just completely spread around. Yep. And and that was when that team really played best. beautiful basketball. No question. And and things are looking pretty good. Got, so Iowa State at, at one point, at this point, uh, they're still 13th in the country. They would get all the way up into ninth at the end of December. The highest Iowa State uh, had been in a long, long time in the top 10. And Iowa State's legit. I mean, Final Four, Dark Horse, and maybe not even Dark Horse national title contender. Because you look at this team, you're like, they have every single piece you could possibly want. And they kind of have had another one of those games, though, the first part of 15. They went to South Carolina in that damn SEC Big 12 deal, and they, they only scored 60 points. Yeah, and this was this was the one actually at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Oh, for it, some reason, I yeah, thought that no, was the SEC. You You're right, Bloom. It was good, not. It was, good pull. It was just a random weird yeah. game. Because Fred pointed off, I remember Fred pointed off that he wanted to play in NBA type arena. arenas to, they get him, to get him ready for the NCAA tournament. And, and then Abdul Massey was telling us that it was because of recruiting. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. they recruited that's, New York a yeah. lot. I, so, it's funny you bring this stuff up, and then I just remember like what I was hearing at the time. Yep. Yeah. No, so this that was the goal. You play a game in New York because you're going to recruit out there. They had a couple notable prospects they were chasing at the time. But... Cyclones make one three the entire game, and it was late, and lose to a pretty mediocre South Carolina team coached by old nemesis Frank Martin, sixty four to sixty. Yeah, how did it, that South Carolina team end up doing? Uh, they've been so up and down under him. They, I, don't I don't think they were think, very good. No, were they? nothing crazy. I mean, they may have maybe snuck into the tournament, but certainly not a game where this was a game where you're looking. What do we? What's what's that all about? Because Iowa State not only loses, but they put up sixty points, which at the time was the lowest output for an Iowa State team in three years. Mm. Little did we know there'd be one more game at the end of the year that would score 59 points, come up one point short. This, uh, this game almost told the exact same story of how the UAB game went. We're starting to see a trend here, yep. though, with this team that is very up and down. They did pick up, uh, if you remember, though, early in that con- They bounced back pretty well they from did. South Carolina. Now, they, they had a rough one against... Oklahoma State, but, they but won by found two. Found a way to win. Yeah. But then they went on the road and won at West Virginia, which any Iowa State fan listening knows how difficult that can be. Just a complete slugfest. 14th ranked West Virginia at the time. West Virginia is one of those teams that people were thinking, this is the year somebody ends big uh, Kansas's Big 12 run. This was not a really good Kansas team. Okay, This was a Kansas team. It had... Perry Ellis was a junior. Okay, this was the third of his uh, 19 years. Um, <laughs> Wayne Selden, Kelly Oubre was the freshman. Um, not a great team. Cliff Alexander was kind of a problem child all year long. Yeah, uh, but, but we thought he would be like a lottery pick. And yeah, and he was the second round. He was who we thought he was. Yeah, um, and and so Iowa State's though in that conversation because Kansas isn't great. They were they were okay in the non conference, not dominant by any means. So you're thinking this is really a three, maybe four-team race in the Big 12, right? So it's Kansas is still there. Iowa State's right on their heels at this point. West Virginia's good. And then Oklahoma State had LeBron Nash, um, I think Forte at the time. They were ranked in the top 25. Is and they LeBron thought, Nash playing ball anywhere? Uh, Europe. He didn't yeah. make the NBA. Okay. But, but so, he was a McDonald's All-American, Yeah, super talented yeah. guy, or at least everyone thought that. But this, there were conversations that Iowa State was a popular pick to win the Big 12 this year. Okay, they were picked second. Kansas was picked first, but yet the opportunity was there for Iowa State to win the conference that season, and that was the expectation that Iowa State would be there all the way into the end, and that's why that game at West Virginia was really a notch because you went in Morgantown against a ranked Mountaineer team, and it was a rugged game. Morris was great that day and found a way to win. Nader actually played probably his best game up to that point. You thought, okay, here's another weapon yeah. that we can bring in. I think Nader had 17 points off the bench, and it's it's another another one you look at and you go, okay, if Iowa State has all these guys contributing at the same time, there's nobody in this conference that can beat them. This team, if you look at the scores and without much context, once you got into conference season, they'd win two and then they'd lose. They'd win two and then they'd lose. They'd win two and then they'd lose. And it goes to what George and I talked about in our podcast this week about just the inconsistency. And I also think you can draw a parallel to last year when it comes to it doesn't really matter how much talent you have. If that talent isn't in sync, you're going to lose some games in a really good conference. This team, this 14-15 team, was just a more talented 
Yeah. Uh, but the comparison is dead on. Yeah. I mean, it was the same type of situation where you just didn't know practice to practice. BDJ game game. played the role of Wigginton. I mean, I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, it just talent when he was on, he got benched, and yep. he was coming off the bench later on. And he, Bryce is still starting at this point. Yeah, uh, he was still starting all the way up until I think it was the the Tech game or after the Tech game, which, which we'll, we'll get to here in yeah, a little bit. They but, lost, but so Iowa State's two and zero in the Big Twelve. They had a big big win, and they go back on the road to Baylor, and they proceed to start the game, Chris down 18 to 1 and this it became a theme for this team they'd get really slow starts they would battle all the way back tied up late and then and then baylor makes a play in the end and iowa state loses a really disappointing game to waco but yet you felt okay losing to waco against a ranked baylor team not the end of the world especially become kansas kansas is coming to town and oh by the way espn game day is in the house as well and this is when fred hoyberg is pretty much a national superstar the uh commercial just come out you know the a charity commercial with Fred doing the dancing. Yeah, when he's he goes up on the stage yep. and he does that little side jig. Yeah. So Iowa State's, I mean, they are an it program. They're ranked in the top ten still. Um, and Kansas is coming to town. You've got game day, and it's set up with a, a spectacle of a day at Hilton Coliseum on that Saturday. Even the day before, I remember. I mean, they had a big thing with like Jay Williams and Seth Greenberg, and um, it, it was just Jay a, Billis. Yeah, Jay Billis was there. It, it was a really Man, I I remember that day like it was yesterday, and then we all got to Hilton really early. Seven thousand fans reportedly showed up to that uh, ESPN game day. Well, thing. I remember all the different local TV channels were lined up there filming the ESPN deal yep. that was going. So they were on like the corridor of yep. Hilton Coliseum. Is court? Is it? Is that what you call it? Uh, the, the parquet. Walk, yeah, the parquet. Excuse me, and then. You know, you have all the shenanigans going down below, and then all of us scribes were just like, well, what do we do? Like, how do you cover? How do you cover, do you <laughs> cover there. college game day? But you had to be there. It was a really odd deal. So that was the morning, and it was a really late game. National TV, 8 o'clock 8 o'clock night. tip, right? So here's what I remember from this. This is, this is embarrassing for me, but this is my honeymoon. So I was actually down in the Dominican Republic for this game. I was at an all-inclusive resort in the Dominican, and it was my last night at on my honeymoon and i should probably be spending time with my wife and, and all that good stuff yeah um but so the and the honeymoon things you know you at all but she's a cyclone yeah she is but so at all inclusive resorts it's basically an excuse to drink as much as you want and not yeah. feel bad about it and so we had uh, as dan mccarney would say most of that day we're pretty much half in the bag yeah but i had in my mind that you know, I'm following. I had Wi-Fi in my room, so I was following all the games and stuff. And I felt bad. Like I, I had legit FOMO that I wasn't in Ames when I'm on my honeymoon in 80 degree. Yeah. Because I was like game days there, uh, all this stuff. But I needed to watch the game somehow. This this resort did not have the game. They had a sports bar. I went. And I asked, "Do you have ESPN?" No. So, How do they not have ESPN? It's it. like if you're gonna have any, they didn't have ESPN. Not, I mean, it, so this was an. It was a. Adults only place, so they basically had. Um, oh, uh, you can guess the uh, television shows oh, they, had, <laughs> they had at this at this resort. Um, but so anyway, long story short, we're there. I at some point approach a man selling cigars at the resort, and I buy a couple of cigars. Um, and and so I'm I'm I've got my victory cigars ready to go. We get done with dinner, etc., and we end up calling a relative trying to FaceTime the game. No. From, nice. from from couldn't nice. get it, but so we spend our final night in uh, in the Dominican Republic, listening to Cyclones TV stream an audio stream of Iowa State and just handles Kansas, just handles Kansas. While I have a couple too many presidentes and embarrass my wife, she <laughs> she falls asleep on our final honeymoon night. Yeah, that was a fun night. Um, Naz led the team in scoring. I remember he. He was really hot in that game. I think he had like 20, 21 Yeah, points, he was really good. Something like that. And McKay that. was awesome. Yeah, I just pulled up the box score here. Um, McKay, where was he at? Yeah, he came off the bench, had – what did Jamil have? He had 11 off the bench, three blocks. Um, Naz – or excuse me, Monte was awesome. He had 10 assists in that one. But they clicked in that they, – they go eight deep – um, and they clicked, and you, and again, 
you're thinking you're thinking Big Twelve Championship. This team's going to take us on a really special yep. ride. Well, and they beat Kansas, so now they've road went out West Virginia and they beat Kansas at home. I mean, Iowa State is essentially now kind of in the driver's seat mm-hmm. for the Big 12, and they follow up that game with a win over a, a solid K-State team at the time. It wasn't easy, but they won by six. And Do we thinking, have to talk about January 24th? Well, so this, is, this, is, this was the game. <laughs> yep. So the, everybody remembers the good times under Fred. Yeah, people don't this, talk about games this like is this. What, this is the season to a T. So you're 4-1. You are literally back in the top 10. Everybody's talking about Iowa State. Fred Hoiberg is, uh, you know, literally iconic stat at, the, at this point. Texas Tech is 1-6 in the and conference. And they're awful. They're absolutely horrible. It was a Saturday afternoon game. Cyclones get off to a brutal start and lose in Lubbock. Yeah, they um, and they, they. It was an ugly, ugly loss. Six. For, listen to this stat: six for thirty-one from three-point range. Iowa State in that basketball game. Uh, Naz went one for seven. George went one for six. Bryce was zero for four, and um, they. I'm trying to think. Ten assists. Ten assists on 27 field goals. They weren't sharing the ball. And, yeah, this was it to a T. So, Chris Williams wrote a column the very next day. Oh, you pulled out the column, huh? And the title of the column from January 25th, so the next day, is Williams, colon, this team can't be trusted. (laughs) And here's the lead. Iowa State still is a very good basketball team, and its ceiling is still sky high. But also know that game to game, this 14-15 group cannot be trusted. <laughs> this is January. So I, mean, I called it. I saw, I, mean, it, I saw it early on. Yeah, it, it's just crazy. It's like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, that's t- funny teams, that you pulled up that column. I, I do remember writing that Teams, now. good team. And, and at this point, Iowa State's Big 12 hopes are like, God, can't have losses like that. Like that. The goal for this team was to win a Big 12 because Kansas still had that run of, at this point, it was about nine or ten years. Now, they would extend it all the way till this year in K-State. But this was the team that was going to break that that stretch. Mm-hmm. That was the expectation. And to lose a game at uh, not just not just an average team. Tech was bad, and they finished bad, and that was a, just an embarrassing, embarrassing loss. But as this team did, they bounced right back, and they won two more games. Again, they, can't, call the they can't be trusted. No. They can't be trusted. And again, like now that we can look back on this in hindsight and with some some perspective, if you listen to what Niang told me today when in our conversation, it makes sense. If you're if you don't know who's showing up for practice, if you don't know what kind of mood they're going to be in, they were a team in theory because they were all wearing the same. But George talks about after that UAB game, which we're going to get to, yep. unfortunately, the team yelling at each other and fighting verbally in the locker room, which unfortunately was the last time that Fred Hoiberg would ever coach at Iowa State. And this was this game, the Tech game, was kind of a turning point because this is when uh, Bryce John Jones gets benched. Was it? Yep. Or it was the next one of the next. No, it was the next game against Texas. He showed up late for a shoot around. And McKay gets entered. That was big Monday, I yep. think. Uh, McKay gets entered into the starting lineup and um, really never looked back from that point on. So, uh, is there anything before the Baylor game that you think we need to hit on? Because it was pretty consistent. Yep. Win so, a couple games, lose one. Well, win a couple games, lose one. I mean, lost at Kansas, lost at Oklahoma, two losses yeah. that weren't going to kill you. But again, it was it was a struggle sometimes on the road to get that effort, and especially to, to rebound and play defense. Wednesday, February twenty fifth, was one of the most re- yeah. memorable games to me of the entire Hoiberg era. It, it, completely, you're still in the Big Twelve race. So, so even though Kansas is is in first, and I was it had a couple bad losses in there. You're still in contention because Kansas isn't very good. So they have four losses at this point, too. Um, and, and they haven't been great. So an opportunity still exists for Iowa State to at least probably they could win it and they could still even share the Big 12 title, which would be an achievement. But they just got to get through Baylor at home. And this is the game where Scott Drew called his final timeout <laughs> with like eight and a half minutes. Is left. that what it was? Eight and a half minutes left. And, Iowa State's up 10. In Cyclone Twitter lost yeah. it. Cyclone Twitter apps. So th- this is another deal. The Baylor led 40 to 37 at halftime. Yep. Clones come out of the gate red hot. Yep. In the Drew, second half. Drew calls like three timeouts in five yeah, minutes. Drew loses his damn mind. And then Baylor 
I don't know what the final run was, no, but it was they, incredible. They hit everything. I think they hit eight threes in the final eight minutes. Yeah, Baylor, Baylor hit 14 threes in the game. Which is crazy for them. I mean, it was everybody. Everybody was making shots. Uh, Prince came yep. off the bench. Torian Prince. He had four threes. And Iowa State, and this was a the theme of this season, the three-point ball did not fall. Six for 24 behind that Baylor zone. Yep, and if the, the, for Iowa State all year, teams just shot the lights out. I, I, I do remember, though, like – Clearly, I didn't trust this team, and I had some major issues with what they what I had seen going on. I do remember though writing after, but I remember being at that press conference and being like, "What in the hell is going on here?" Yeah, because that Baylor team was fine; they were ranked, but they yeah, I mean, they, they were, you and you still weren't used to like losing at Hilton, especially if it wasn't to Kansas or whatever. They follow that up losing at Kansas State by a point. Yep, in a game that they had down to the down to the wire, and and this this essentially ends their chances of of winning the Big Twelve. It does, and then we get into Big Monday, March second. Fifteenth rank Oklahoma's in town. The twenty two point it, run, and Iowa State starts awful in this game. The You're, first half, I mean, you thought the season's over. Well, like the, I remember melting down, getting tweets at halftime, like the wheels have fallen and, off and it felt Hoiberg's like it. lost the team. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't blame fans at all. No, I mean, it, it, it was literally, it was bad. Oklahoma led by how much at halftime. I'll pull like that up 20. right now. And Iowa state could do nothing right. Couldn't make a shot. 37 to 18 at halftime. And it was bad. And it's in Hilton Coliseum. I just lost two in a row. The big 12 is now out of it. Now you're thinking, Hell, I just hope we get a six seed. You know, like this team yeah, is, go- it is going the wrong way. Final four talk to that. And now you're like, thinking about falling out of the top. It was bad, but then something clicks. At halftime, George told this story a couple of podcasts ago. Yeah, Jamil McKay with the fist. Uh, the, I don't remember exactly, but but Jamil McKay put a put a fist. He goes in the locker room. He he had his hand open. Is open, like yep. an open like palm. Yep. He goes, guys, this is us right now. And then he closed his fist. He goes, and this is going to be us in the second half. And he was, and he nailed it. Proficient, a prophet. He played thirty five minutes off the bench in that game. Fourteen points, twelve rebounds for Jamil. McKay. He was great. I was at a twenty two to nothing run, which gets if you go back and watch it. And we'll probably we'll post it along with the thread on Fanatic. It gets more unbelievable each time. Like you could feel it building. It was like Jaws, like that Jaws music was playing. And it's like okay, get a bucket here. And then the best part is for me at least, Musburger and Frischilla, they could feel it too. And Frischilla's the whole time going, "Oh boy, here comes the magic! Look out!" And obviously it's still down like fourteen or sixteen, but everybody in that building could feel that something special was happening and it got louder and louder and louder. And then when Dustin Hogue had a dunk, it was as loud as I've heard of Hilton in 12 years. I'd like to be able to watch that game again. Oh. Would, that, would that be on like ESPN three? The, the run is on YouTube. So you can find it on YouTube. I don't know about the entirety of the game. Cyclones TV may have it as yeah, well, but I it, guess if we ask John again, I was saying that second half was brilliant. And, um, I don't, carried, carried into the next game. Dijon Jones played eight minutes in that game, yeah. and he, he started that game. Yeah, and again, he didn't play. I don't think in the second half. No, and and so this is was this is what was Fred going had drawn on a line in the stand yep. um, with Bryce, and we fast and, forward and Nader uh, somewhat too. I mean, Nader had kind of been relegated to bench duty, and Matt Thomas had found a little more rhythm, but. Um, the rotation got smaller and smaller as that year went on. Iowa State wins at TCU to end the regular season. Then we get to perhaps the most memorable Big Twelve tournament of it, the run. It was because you didn't, you still weren't sure about the Iowa State it, team. I mean, those first two games were just epic, and then you beat Kansas in the final. Yeah, and the Texas game, get down again early. Have to, I think they were down ten with four minutes left or five minutes left, and Monte was Monte awesome. Shot. Hits the game winning shot. And the Oklahoma game, famous. I mean, they battled all the way down to the wire with those guys, but up two, and Ryan Spangler literally has a layup Misses that he, the layup. he completely blows to tie the game and send it into overtime. So had to get some luck. And in the Kansas game, it was kind of the two titans, right? So Kansas wins the conference. Iowa State still felt it had the most talent, and talent won out. I mean, Iowa State got down early in that game, but then came blazing back late first half into the second half. And by the way, two of the better performances for that game, Bryce DeJean Jones yeah, and Abdul Nader. I was just going to go there. Uh, DeJean Jones, 
He didn't play well in that game. Was it? Or maybe think, it was you're, you're thinking of the next next one. game. Okay, but Nader did. Nader had um, Nader came off the bench in that game and had a big three in the second half. He had five. It, I remember too, Dijon Jones, and he that was, was I think the second game. Impact defensively, yeah, at he, least. He, he played. He played really good defense in that, and then he played well against Oklahoma. And you kind of thought, okay, he's, he's back he's, engaged. He's back. Last chance for him. NCAA tournament. He's going to bring it. But I do remember that um, the win over Kansas, seventy to sixty six. And I, I think that Sprint Center, when Iowa State and Kansas are playing for a Big Twelve title, I think it's the best atmosphere that I've ever been in in college basketball. Yeah, it was great. And then, and then this past year had the same thing. Where, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just crowd warfare. Dueling fan bases. And Iowa State was clearly the better team that night, though. And kind of got some... I just remember Fred coaching circles around Bill, Bill Self. Self. He was, I really felt well, that Well, and Iowa State got down and then really... I mean, they went almost to kind of ISO basketball against... And, and it was Nader going off the dribble. George was really good in the second half. Monte... And, and you thought, okay, here's this Iowa State team that has all this this talent on it. They've maybe figured it out. So going into the NCAA tournament, winners of five in a row, back up into the ninth in the country. You're a three seed, sets up pretty well that their their run. I mean, you got a you got a winnable game against a 14. And UAB it, was thought of as one of the worst like teams. Yeah, they the they had a bad year and they kind of got lucky in their conference tournament. I mean, yeah. they were 500 in conference and kind of put it together. And then on the other side was. SMU was the six seed. UCLA was eleven. Two kind of, all right, no biggies. And this team is it was it was like all right. It's Iowa State's going to get back to the Sweet Sixteen. What can they do from there? Can they take it another step? Uh, I looked it up. Nineteen percent of ESPN folks picked Iowa State to make the Final Four Oof. in the bracket. Oof. So it wasn't just Iowa State fans. It was this was Iowa State was the popular pick from that region to get all the way to the Final Four and. Um, We'll get there momentarily. The expectations were really high. Hey, uh, this is cool. Sukup Manufacturing is offering their award-winning QuadraTouch Pro Control System where you can manage your dryers remotely on your cell phone. Boom, that means, like, let's say that you've got your your grain dryer in Iowa. you got a business trip in New York. Right. You can just use your app to manage the temperature. You can even shut the dryer down. You get re- alerts straight to your phone. Sukup manufacturing helping farmers utilize technology to work more efficiently now than ever before hey i also want to encourage um psych one fanatic listeners if you're going to the big guthrie river ruckus coming up on friday and saturday nights i'm going to be there um psych one fanatic is partnered with the guthrie river ruckus we're helping promote it they're helping promote us you're going to see cool um psych one fanatic logos flying around behind the artists up on the stage it's going to be really cool uh, I can't wait to get there Friday night to see uh, Kit Moore is headlining there on Friday, no- Friday night. Diamond Rio will be there. And one of my all-time favorites is Chris Cagle, and he will be taking the stage on Saturday night. We're here to help you out, and you can use the promo code CYCLONES. That's promo code CYCLONES. If you want to go, you can get $15 off of your tickets, but you've got to go and get those online and use your promo code CYCLONES. Also, one last thing before we dig into UAB – Bloom, we are now selling officially licensed merch, Iowa State yeah. merchandise at yeah. the Cyclone Fanatic store, teamcloset.com slash Cyclone Fanatic, where I've had so many people, you know the black polos that Learfield gave us? Yeah. I've had so many people ask me where I got that polo because they want one. You can't really find many black, all black. Not. We created one. Go and buy it on there right now. And it'll get to you. Uh, the guys over in Perry do a great job. Teamcloset.com slash Cyclones. And we've got new Cyclone gear, Cyclone Fanatic gear as well. So look for more stuff the, in the coming uh, days. The black uniforms are going to come out again. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know this? You have, like, I, don't, I have no insider info, oh, but okay. I know they will. So you better have your black shirt ready. Would you do it for the Iowa game? <laughs> do it. Oh, it'd be I epic. Would. An epic troll. Yes. I actually... Um, our our farmers and our hunters listening to like this. Yeah. Did you see my? I don't know if you're in our merch Slack today. I've, I've looked, I I did not see it today. I think we're going to come out with a fall like hunters line of okay. cyclone gear. I like that. How cool is that? I like, like that camo hunter orange. That's a really big deal when you get around hunting season. 
Taking care of our uh, blue-collar people Love out there. It. All right, uh, the damn UAB game. So Iowa State's top ten again, three Didn't seed. did Dan Patrick like, pick him to win the Natty or something yeah, like that? I think so. I mean, this – Iowa State's in a region. that was It was a good region. I mean, Duke was the two seed – or Duke was the one seed, excuse me. Gonzaga was the two seed. And yet, you felt if Iowa State could – you know, get to that point with all that talent, and we thought they were talented, the way they could score, you know, give it a shot. Uh, and then you've got Monte Morris has now emerged as a, as a superstar. George is George. Nas had played w- really well all year long. Nader and BDJ seem to be ingrained in. Jameel McKay has come on now. He just got named Defensive Player of the Year in the Matt conference. Matt Thomas will come out and hit he a shot when shot. you need it. They had, a really, they had as good of eight as anybody in the country. I really, truly believe that that year. Um, and I and, think it turned out to be that way, too. Yeah, look, look at, at it now. Yeah. Look at it now. And you've got this UAB team who nobody really knows anything about. They've got a former Kansas coach or former Kansas player as the coach. Ugh. And it was just kind of a random draw in Louisville, which is drivable. It's we were happy. It was kind of drivable for Iowa State fans. And the story comes out the day before. Jamil McKay and Monte Morris both frosted their they tips. frosted their tips. You know, and, and they thought, okay, we're going to be on the national stage. We want to have the new looks. And it was – you were down there. Yeah. I, I did not make the trip. You but know, it, it turned into an absolute nightmare. It was scenario. a hornet's nest is what it was because – and one thing that you know, I always tell people, they're like, oh, man, I really want to go to watch the clones in the NCAA tournament. I'm like, don't do it. Go to Kansas City. It's a lot more fun. These NCAA tournament atmospheres are very difficult if you're the favorite in the sense that you're in there in Louisville, Kentucky. Kentucky's in your region. There's, there was a few – there was a decent turnout of Iowa yeah. State fans, but nothing. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't great. Kentucky's uh, down there as well. Yeah. I mean, it was a good turnout, but not great. Yeah. In the second, like, there was blood in the water, that an upset could happen. It was 9-1, to one, people rooting against Iowa State in that atmosphere – and you got a sense really early, Brent. Iowa State trailed by three at the half. You got a sense really, really early that this was bad Iowa yeah, State. So here's here's the interesting part, though. So we had become accustomed to all throughout the year, Iowa State would dig these gigantic holes. Yes. They did it all year long. They did it in the Big 12 tournament and then came back. But actually, Even in, some of the games they won. Yeah, yeah. In this game, they started great, which yeah. gets forgotten about. Like, they started, I think it was 12-2 to two to yep. open up. Yep. And Nass hits a couple threes, and you're thinking – here we go. Team's rolling, boys. And then they just hit the worst dry spell of the season. So I think it's 12-2 to two at the first media timeout. And then Iowa State labored and labored and labored. And eventually, UAB just kept chipping away with some really no-name guys. I mean, truthfully. And they take a three-point lead into halftime. And at this point, you know it's going to be a battle. Like, this felt – this just didn't feel right at halftime. And especially then, they come out – I remember this well – uh, on the on the national broadcast, and they interview Fred Hoyerberg, and clearly he's he, Fred seems distracted by something uh, that uh, that happened at halftime, and then you can see Abdul Massey, this is Coach Matt Abdul Massey, consoling Bryce to John Jones on the bench. All did not look well in Whoville at that point. Like it, it the, the 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 fractured Iowa State team that had occurred at, at points in the year looked like they seemed like they were in a bad spot at halftime. The most maddening thing about this game, to me, is the fact that UAB was three of eighteen from three. Yeah, point they didn't range. even shoot well. Usually, like when there's a three fourteen upset, it's like, oh, that that mid major team. Well, they just you know they run and gun and they shoot a lot of threes and they got hot that game. That wasn't the case at all. It was a fractured Iowa State team, and it bled into the locker room after the after the game. And I'll never forget standing there in Louisville interviewing Fred Hoiberg. And we were all thinking, is this the last time? Because the rumors had gotten loud. It had gotten to the team. I know that for a fact mm. that the team had – that it started to weigh on them just a little bit. Hoiberg does his thing. And then Hoiberg watch 2015 began. However, uh, it was very eerie, the whole – Fred had to go have his heart procedure. Yeah. He basically disappeared there for a while. Yep. All of the reports were that he were go- he was going to the Bulls. 
Otzelberger comes back yep. in the middle of the offseason. There was a lot going on. A lot going on. But, yeah, that the, the thing about that UAB game is Iowa State still had the lead, a four-point lead with a couple minutes left and couldn't mm-hmm. make anything. And Nyang, if you look back. Do you back, think that they would have, if they won that game, do you think they could have done anything? I don't know. I don't think because they would Because, I mean, game to game, like yeah. we talked about, it's just like, I, who knows? I don't who think really they know? I don't. I don't think they would have either. But up and down, the eight guys Iowa State had, it's been proven. NBA talent on that team, and yet you're bounced. This wasn't like the Hampton. It was so like I, the Hampton game, but that this team was significantly more talented, in my opinion, than that Iowa State team that lost to Hampton. Similar result. Iowa State scores 59 points in that game, seat up. It was the fewest points in the last three years of the Hoiberg era. I do think that there are a lot of comparisons to this 2014-15 and last year's Dead on. I think I can, I can draw a lot of comparisons. And it, it, it became clear after the season that not everybody was always rowing in the same direction. Yeah. Super talented, but this is where the chemistry part of any sporting event comes in. If you're all not on the same page, it doesn't matter if you have – I mean, that UAB team, they're essentially – you know, just a group of just a group of guys, and obviously had a bad shooting day. Came at the worst time, and this is what that's what can happen when you're not all on the same page. And Bryce John Jones does not play in the second half. Obviously, struggles to make shots, and the season's over. And it's over on the first game on a Thursday in the NCAA tournament, which is the absolute worst worst thing you can lose. I don't. I, I think any yeah. sporting event because then you're nobody wants to watch the tournament anymore. You're done. It's it. So the season that had national championship aspirations is over. And oh, by the way, now and your highlights are going to be shown the whole time. Yeah, and your coach. Yeah, and your coach. And, and is it was leaving. still in the back of your mind, like, could this really happen? And I, and it, and it, and it, it got it got quiet, and then then silence became murmurs, as you said, and they got louder and louder, and then you're like, wow, this is how it's going to that, end. That summer got toxic too. I I just I remember, I don't know the one. It seems it's weird. And I, I know he doesn't mean to do this. It's, it has nothing to do with him personally. He's not trying to. Fred Hoiberg polarizes this fan base. Still does. It, you know what I mean? And I think that – Because that the, whole the, Hoiberg watch so, thing turned, like, people against each other. Yep. And people still wonder if Fred stays, you know, what? where does that next team go? I, mean, I think that's still hold, held over Steve Prohm's head to this day. Now, he, st- he, he took the team, Prohm did, yeah. to his Sweet 16, but – it's still a, a you know what if, and I think that UAB game, the way it ended, just like that, and it's like Fred Hoiberg's last game at Iowa State. I I do still have doubts as to the way that the Hoiberg regime was recruiting towards the end. I don't know if it would have kept rolling. I I have vast admiration for Fred Hoiberg as an X's and O's coach. I think he's one of the best in the world at it, even though he mm-hmm. presumably failed in the NBA. Trust me, I follow the Chicago Bulls closely. <laughs> I don't think anybody would have won as a coach in that situation. So I really didn't lose much stock with me. And I think he'll win at Nebraska. Uh, but I do remember at the end of that, and you know, the transfer competition had gotten a lot better. The High school recruiting had really dried up. And you kind of looked at it like, okay, we've got next year, but what's going to happen after that? Mm -hmm. And I do think Fred knew that too. Mm -hmm. I do think that he was sincere when he said he didn't want to leave this thing. Empty cupboard. And I I, I do think it was a very noble move for him. I'm not going to pat him on the back too much because he got $25 million to go coach in Chicago. So clearly he, it wasn't completely out of the kindness of his heart, but I do think that he saw the writing on the wall to a certain extent. No doubt. And he, he saw, not that they couldn't have recovered. I I do think they could have had a down year and rebuilt. I'm not saying he couldn't have, I have faith that he would have, but if Hoiberg stays and Iowa state goes to the final four, that's natural. It's easier to recruit. Absolutely. I mean, look at what Texas. Yeah. Texas is perfect example, Uh, but, but I do remember at that time going, what are they doing? For sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and Hoiberg actually referenced when he left that he wanted to do what Johnny Orr did when he stepped down. Uh, and, and Orr left Hoiberg, Meyer, and Mikulik to Tim yeah. Floyd, and that's how the Tim Floyd era got going a little bit. So that was that was a thought process. But it's hard to believe that that season, which started with literally national championship aspirations for Iowa State, I don't, I don't think that's a stretch. No. And then it, it ends – 
like that, and that's the last time Fred Hoiberg coached at Iowa State. And if you guys haven't listened to it yet, go and listen to my podcast with George when he talks about this. And he he says to this day one of his biggest regrets was he got so caught up in the loss and the infighting within the team after that game that he didn't really relish the fact that this was his last time in a locker room with Fred. Because hmm. he said, like, we kind of thought that it would be, but there was so much else going on in that locker room, I didn't really soak it up. Yeah, it was uh, clearly not a healthy healthy locker room Man, that do, year. Do you remember? That, at, at that point in time. Do least. you remember that Hoiberg watch, though? Oh, like, God. It, it was horrible. Yeah. And, do you and, remember people just – the media having to follow around the, the – um, the tailgate tour. Yep. And, and just basically Jamie. stalk Jamie. Yeah. And they Jamie were just doing their jobs. Know. I yeah. mean, it's what every fan wanted to know. It was a weird end to a a really fun era of Iowa State basketball. Yeah. Like it, you got this high, high, and you thought like the, the game day thing was kind of Fred was a superstar, like national television, the whole thing. You the mayor Kansas. thing. Remember yeah, the, mayor the mayor video I mean, that they did? He was all over the place. And to go from that where you are – kind of the center of the, the basketball universe. Iowa State hasn't been that high in a long time. Doing that, you know, you're hosting a college game day, you beat Kansas, run them out of the gym, to four months later and you're starting over, so to speak. Like, that's it. And it was a weird year. But it also, to me, it illustrated, number one, the NCAA tournament is a complete crapshoot. Yeah. And it's hard to – It's a terrible way to pick the best team in the country. You know, and you it just – It really is. I'm, and I know we all love it. Duke, Duke's had great success because the good teams eventually, yes. you know, they they have won. But at the end of the day, Iowa State wins twenty five games that year. It's third most wins in school history, and yet I think we look at it and go, "What, what could have been more?" The season is looked at as a failure, definitely. And I also, I just, I have to point out one more time, like the amount of hell that Steve Prome got last year. It wasn't that long ago that an Iowa State team with far superior talent greatly underachieved Mm -hmm. because of the exact same reason. Mm -hmm. So, listen, um, I think when it comes to stacking Prome and Hoiberg up, they they have different strengths and they excel in different areas. But just I think that it's worth pointing out to remember 2014-15 – when you kind of look back at last year, because it's not, it wasn't always perfect. You can still be grateful for what Fred did. I know I am. Um, I, I've come around and going to be rooting for him at Nebraska. Believe it or not, I've. It's a little less sore for me now. Sure. I mean, I the only pro, I want Fred to do well, but I don't want the Nebraska fans to feel good about themselves. Yeah. That's the problem with me. But I just just remember this. And, I think it's a good thing to point yeah, out. Yeah, and I think the and it, it didn't want to make this a Fred versus Steve. No, thing, but it ultimately but it, comes it, down to that does. when people are listening. No question. But at the, I mean, I think you look at anything, and we're about to enter a football season with extremely high expectations, um, and we don't know what's going to happen. So, in sports in general, not many teams end on a high note, and so to cherish the good times when they happen because you don't know when that shoe's going to drop. And that shoe in fourteen fifteen dropped way quicker than we thought, and that was it. So, when the good times are happening, because I think this that this year, this past year, and that fourteen fifteen, extremely similar in that we got so wrapped up in this team's underperforming, this team's underperforming, you kind of lost of some of the cool things they did, and now you look back at it in a disappointing fashion. I also think there's one final aspect that I'd like to point out that I think that those two teams had in common, and we talk a lot about how. Hilton's just a weird place in the sense that you kind of have to give back to the people, like with your mm-hmm. attitude and your your facial exp- body language. Sure. I know. I'll be the body language police, but I do think it's a real thing with Iowa State fans. And I didn't think last year's team, other than a few guys, Tyrese, Mainly, um, Condit, when he got in the game, there's a reason he was such a fan favorite. I think that people really appreciated Michael Jacobson and his grit. But um, mainly, you know, the two guys who went pro, and great for Taylor Horton Tucker, by the way, yep. getting a deal with the Lakers. That's awesome. It just it, – it always seemed kind of like a chore 
for them to be out there. And I picked that up with that 14-15 team, too. Oh, now, no. you had George, Mon- Monte, had and Naz, Naz, which were great. Yep. But the rest, like, I don't think – I think Nader grew into that guy. Yeah, and Mc- I McKay, think McKay did. McKay – well, McKay started out. Yeah. And then he, the next year was when he kind of lost some but favor I, with I people. But I do think Iowa State fans are pretty – Observant. Yeah, on on all that stuff. And I don't think that it's just something we talk about on Twitter. It's funny because I I was reading some old columns I wrote that year, and it felt a lot like this past year where it's like a lot of people, it felt like that you watched that team to be angry. Yeah. Like you, you... you, you just almost, set yourself, you just up, set to yourself up to be angry yeah. watching that team. And it, it. it was very similar to this past season. So I think that's the in- interesting thing. It's different coach, but history can repeat itself when expectations are involved. And that's good. Expectations are a great thing, but that's the nature of sports. Usually the, our favorite teams are the ones that come out of nowhere. And the ones with expectations, if they're not met, are ultimately looked in a different light. And so I think it's just an interesting perspective, the way you approach a team going into a season, how it reflects the way that season plays out. This football season's being set up for failure. Well, no, I, I didn't, I'm not going there, <laughs> but I'm just, I mean, the, the parallels are, and you don't. I think this cross is a very sport. different type of team. It, you think so, but I mean, that's the I thing is it. when expectations get in the way of everything else, it can really change the way people and the season is shaped. So just this, keep that in mind. This was fun. This was a good idea. Um, you sadistic man, you. <laughs> but we, we got something accomplished here. Now, you picked this topic. I've picked out our next topic. All right. And I'm just going to give it a tease, a tease that I think is one of the most – I might call it the most substantial game in Iowa State football history, and I think it will su- surprise you. Hmm. The most impactful game. It was a loss, but I there are so many different layers to this game. A loss is the most important thing. And I'll, we'll do that probably next week. We're going to try and knock that out because fall camp does start. Media days next Thursday. Um, we've got a couple of summer series episodes. We, this is our third of the year, and we do have a couple more coming for you thanks to our friends at Sukup Manufacturing. Thank you, Bloom. Pleasure as always. Hopefully we don't have to do another one of these (laughs) anytime soon. Later, guys. Hope you enjoyed it.